Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Nobody actually knows how high his rate of support is, including putting himself... Hello and welcome to Free Exchange. I'm John Ashmore, the editor of CapEx, and a very happy new year to all our listeners. Whether it's interfering in Syria, Venezuela or Iran, Vladimir Putin is rarely out of the headlines. But what's life like for the opposition activists trying to take the fight to the Russian president on his home turf? To find out, I sat down with Vera Kichanova, who has the distinction of being the first libertarian ever elected to public office in Russia in Moscow's municipal elections back in 2012. She subsequently spent several years working on economic reform in Ukraine and is now doing urban policy research here in London. She began our conversation by explaining how family history has helped shape her anti-authoritarian outlook. Uh, I've always been, uh, so to say, concerned about what was going on in Russia. Maybe that's, well, that certainly comes from my parents who were always, uh, like I would say, liberal Democrats by, by their views. So they, they were rallying against the communist regime during the perestroika times, and Putin came to power. They were quite suspicious of him, and especially my father, because my mother didn't want me to be politically active. They realized it's dangerous in Russia, but my father was from time to time uh, discussing with me uh, the situation, so I've always been concerned, and at some point, I don't even remember what was the, the final trigger, but I realized that it's time to, to be more active. And I started going to the rallies, uh, going to some student meetups dedicated to political situation. So I became part of this broader umbrella opposition movement because it's sometimes hard to explain to the outsiders, but in authoritarian organizations, the ideological differences, they do not matter that much. So you can see, the if you see these big rallies in Moscow, you can see the libertarian flags next to the red flags, next to the nationalist yeah. flags. So libertarians and communists flags. unite. Yes, because this is, we are fighting for for the institutional change. So we will all benefit if we have a democratic society, if we'll have a independent election, free elections and uh, the real parliament is a place for proper discussion. So we, we would rather fight each other in the parliament than on Facebook because if we fight each other on Facebook, that can last forever until they shut down Facebook, which yeah. they certainly can do. So, and I've made, I was interacting with, uh, meeting people 
among the protesters from various, with various views. And at some point, I met libertarians, and I realized that this is more or less the ideas I've always shared without knowing what it's called. And uh, and yes, then I joined the Libertarian Party. It was almost 10 years ago. Yeah, it's fair to say that free markets sort of philosophy doesn't have hasn't always had a particularly big audience in Russia. But you know what? Actually, I, I, would, I wouldn't agree because, and it's not just my own observation. I've heard it from people like the Liberty Champions who are traveling a lot, like Tom Palmer from Atlas Network or Lawrence Reed or Yaron Brook, head of the Ayn Rand uh, Institute, that the most I know, brave and dedicated fighters for liberty can be found, like, can be found in countries that lived under communist regimes. So there are a lot of us in Eastern Europe, a lot of us in Latin America. Mm. So, for example, I know quite a few Venezuelan activists, and they are the most, some of the most, the bravest people I ever met. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, we had a guest on this podcast not long ago who was Jorge. arrested, uh, Boris Arenas Gonzalez, and he was arrested by the Cuban security mm. services about two weeks after he came on the podcast. So, oh. yeah, I mean, it showed, yeah, you know, you can see the um, the bravery of people who work in these kind of totalitarian regimes. Mm. Now, you spoke there about um, the opposition and you used mm. the word it's an umbrella movement. But, I mean, do you think it's fair to say there are two oppositions in Russia in the sense that there's a kind of fake Kremlin opposition Absolutely. and then there's the real one? I, I, I didn't even mention it because no one considers them opposition anymore. Right. So, for example, today... Uh, it was. Uh, it leaked in the new in the Russian media that the Kremlin is planning to create the new fake Liberal Party for the next parliament elections. But they're doing it every four years before every elections, and it's always more or less the same faces, uh, the, the all the usual suspects who are involved. And it only works. I don't know. Every time it's less and less. It works. Yes, yeah, it, it's more obvious yes, every time. It's more obvious. So it still works for the outsider, for the foreign media, for example. Like last presidential elections, they had Ksenia Sobchak to represent the liberal wing, which her, her father was Putin's boss. So, so this is, uh, just for our listeners who might not know, her dad used to be the mayor of Moscow. Yeah, the mayor right? of St. Petersburg. Of St. Petersburg, sorry. Because Putin yeah. comes from St. Petersburg. So yeah. she, has, she always had access to... Putin's family yeah. and kind of, but she had that image of a young, smart, self-made woman. Yeah. So she, so I saw I was, it was annoying seeing the new like uh, articles in the Western media saying that this time Russia has a liberal candidate for president. It's amazing some of the <laughs> things you see from so-called Russia experts on Twitter mm -hmm. and so on. How do you think that the Western coverage of Russia in general is? in terms of quality and understanding? Oh, that's a good question, because I can't say for all the media, because it's been so, like, so much... It's been in the spotlight for the last, say, let's say, five years. It's been such a overheated topic, everything that's going on in Russia. That, so there's a lot of both good reporting and a lot of nonsense. So I remember when I first moved to London and I went to Waterstones and I saw this the shelf with the most best-selling books and half of them were about Russia. Something about the Russian corruption, the Russian oligarchs, the Kremlin, uh, the Russian revolution. And I have very mixed feelings about it because on the one hand, I think this is very important what's going on in Russia, not just because I come from Russia, but because it influences 
not only Europe, you can see what's going on in Venezuela now. It's like mm. without Putin's support, the situation could have been different. Yeah. And so it's really the authoritarianism in Russia has and the Putin as a Putin who is viewed as a role model by all the authoritarian leaders worldwide. But on the other hand, so I was thinking it's it's good that everyone's talking about Russia and acknowledge the problem. But on the other hand, that's exactly what Putin wants when he's doing it, because he loves when the world is seeing him as the biggest threat, as the kind of the general of this army for I don't know, against the what what they would call the liberal order. Yeah, like the protector of traditional values, all these things. So yeah, yeah it's interesting you mentioned Venezuela there. I mean, there's this whole slightly under the radar foreign operation that the Kremlin conducts. I'm thinking we know about Syria, but also mm -hmm. in Africa, mm -hmm. in various countries, the Central African Republic. I mean, what do you think is what do you see as the purpose from what what does Putin gain from having these little kind of micro states that well, not microstates, but, you know, these regimes that are loyal to him. Well, as I said, he likes feeling like he's a world leader because he's not... I mean, he sees the world as a zero-sum game. He And he cannot impress everyone by the good like economic prosperity of his country, but he can play the role of a moral leader. So he likes it the more... He likes being influential. He likes... And this is, again, one of the things that... I think it's very important to understand about Putin that uh, he's unfortunately quite a clever man. So he can he knows how to address every how to target every uh, every audience, every like piece of how to target different groups. So if you can see, he is supporting both I don't know the left wing, radical left wing, radical right wing parties and movements in Europe and elsewhere, and sometimes in the same country, like in Germany, uh, Kremlin has uh, ties both with uh, Die Linke, the, the radical left, and uh, Pegida, the radical right. In Spain, when uh, during the Catalonia referendum, uh, the Kremlin bots, as it was discovered, uh, backed both sides. So it's, it's about uh, destabilizing the situation. It's not about... But the, the thing is that many of these groups think that he genuinely shares their values. So the right-wing people think that he's a, a champion of traditional values, of Christianity, a fighter against Islamism or whatever. The left-wing people think that he's the, he's the one who like, carries on the communist flag uh, and wants to restore right. the Soviet Union. And, and unfortunately, I see this, uh, there are some libertarians who believe that he is a person to praise because he's kind of opposing America, which is seen as, I don't know, because Russia today gives platform to people like Ron Paul and others. So just because the enemy of my enemy is, is my friend, they, as they think, like because... Russia today criticizes the like legitimately criticizes some like misdeeds by the Western governments. They think that everything else they're reporting about Russia is also true. Mm. I mean, so uh, it's obvious that he is something of a master of the kind of geopolitical game. But how do you think he is perceived by normal Russians now, twenty years or so in? 
Because obviously, you know, he wins elections by sort of seventy-five percent or something. But there's obviously a lot of you know mm -hmm. questions over the legitimacy mm -hmm. of those. And do you think there's a large a section of Russian population that has just switched off, and they just think, oh, this is the political world; it's got nothing to do with me? This is this is a very interesting questions and another thing that a lot of people in the West do, don't don't really get that nobody actually knows how high his rate of support is, including putting himself. Because in an authoritarian country, when you destroy all the means of feedback, you kind of uh, create a trap that you fall into yourself because there's no independent elections, there's no independent media, and uh, there's no independent polling. And everyone's too afraid to, to say what they think. Well, not everyone, but most people. Or And as you said, indeed, I think most people, they would... They treat the like politics more like a I don't know like weather like it right. just happens Something and we have to with. and yeah. we have to adapt to it yeah. and it's it's really not uh, it's not nice to us but this is the that's the country we live in that's the country when we have cold winter and uh, and, no. <laughs> and an authoritarian ruler right. so he was he had. A, he had a huge spike of support after the annexation of, of the Crimea, and but it has not entirely vanished, but really, really fell down, because you cannot just. Uh, I mean, because it created. There were very, very bad consequences for the Russian economic e economy. Yeah. The sanctions, the fall of the Russian currency, the uh, outflow of I investments, and. All these things they made, they kind of they put pressure yeah, on normal they people. They put pressure, yeah. So, yeah. so now he's playing another card. Like, okay, well, that's the card he's always been playing, but now it's like his uh, main card. That okay, I might be not an ideal ruler, but everyone else is like any other politician coming to power would be a disaster. Yeah, that's why. Uh, I rarely, I usually, well, I haven't been watching the Russian federal TV channels for 10 years, for 10 years, I guess. But last weekend I was visiting my parents and the TV was uh, on and I saw that all, like the news, it would be all about some catastrophic things going on everywhere else in the world, especially in the democratic countries, like a flood somewhere in Europe or an earthquake somewhere in America, or like yeah. especially if something happens in Ukraine, this will be the number one news. And if at the same time there is a, I don't know, a fire in Russia with uh, 40 people, well, 40 people die. That wouldn't be in the main news. So they're literally Russians are just seeing a kind of alternative reality yes. to most of the rest. Yes. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I occasionally talk to Russian friends of mine. Um, I lived there for a while, and they'll say things like, "Oh, I saw a report on the news about how France is being invaded by Africans and stuff like this." And I'm just like, "What are you talking about? It's really bizarre." But I mean, I think it's it's hard for us to compute how complete the control of the media. Yes, and this is that's. Again, the problem sometimes my, my per when I just moved out of Russia, I moved to Kiev, and it was right after the Euromaidan revolution. I moved there to work with a team of reformers, and uh, 
Although my father grew up in Ukraine and his parents live in Ukraine and my mother's grandparents all come from, so I'm half Ukrainian. I have very, like, a lot of Ukrainian blood. And so they were, like, they both been to Ukraine many times, but they still believe he wouldn't call his parents to ask what's going on. He wouldn't call me. He would watch the TV and he, he would call me and say, oh, this is some, something dangerous happening. So whenever, I don't know, there's a minor... I don't know, some... Oh, it was it was here in London. I remember there was some rocket that exploded during a cell of, like, some street party. And my my parents called me asking if there's a terror attack in London and <laughs> if I'm safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, watch out. November the 5th is a very, very dangerous time to be mm. in London. It's, it's crazy. It's what the other thing you always see with Ukraine coverage is that anyone involved in anything that they sort of deem anti-Russian is described as, like, a neo-fascist... Or, or Nazi sometimes. Yeah. And that's a, that's yeah. why now they have the pre- president who's a Jewish person, the head of the parliament. I, I don't remember. Has it? No, it was the previous head of the parliament who was also a Jewish person. Obviously, in the fascist uh, state, it's... Yeah, very strange it, kind it, of Nazis <laughs> they have in, uh, in Ukraine. <laughs> I mean, we talked, uh, yeah, we talked about the kind of popularity ratings of mm-hmm. Putin, um, but... But as you say, ordinary Russians' living standards, having done pretty well in the first decade of this yes, century. Yes, that's right. And this is this is a very interesting thing to again, to, to, a very important thing to mention that uh, when Putin just came to power, he kind of saw people like uh, Lee Kuan Yew or maybe Pinochet as his role models. Like yeah. he wanted to create a free econo- economy with an tightly controlled political political life that's that's yeah. how he envisioned russia but in the very beginning he he was very pragmatic about reform like um, free market re- doing real free market reforms yeah. so and he cut he, the income tax rate yes, to 13 yes right, and so. made it flat and yes. it's still flat and 13 percent yeah that was the main reform but there were others as well they removed so he hired a team of a team of uh, free market reformers who were do, who, who were responsible for all these things? So uh, I know this very well because my husband is one of them. Ah. <laughs> and the straight other, from the horse's mouth. Yeah, okay. And the and the the other one is a man who is working in the Cato Institute now, Andrei Larionov, also a big expert on Russia and a very fierce critic of Putin. So the income tax, uh, the deregu- a lot of deregulations, a lot of uh, taxes removed. Uh, the stabilization fund, a lot of other like smaller but also important yeah. uh, changes, and together with a very favorable oil price, it really led to the economic boom in Russia. So it was the the decade from 2000, I would say 2001 to 2010, like a decade that was where Russia was growing and everyone was satisfied, and there was very little opposition to Putin. There was some because he was he was an authoritarian leader, and one of the first things he did uh, was not lowering the tax; it was shutting down the the most popular independent TV yeah. channel, NTV. Right? Yes, yeah. yes. So people who were aware they would protest, but it it would it was Im- impossible to imagine some mass dissent. But yes, this changed in uh, so you probably know 2011. Suddenly, people were like 
hundreds of thousand people took to the streets protesting against the, yeah. the rigged elections. And that was a huge surprise both for Putin and for the opposition. Because this first decade of Putin, it was kind of an... an not an explicit but a social contract like yes. we are like you be we quiet give, and you'll yes, get rich basically you, you be quiet and you will get richer we will get even more richer we will yeah. be stealing but you do you won't mind as soon as we but at, and the idea was to like they were the government they were kind of promoting this idea that we created the we are creating the middle class in russia finally and and indeed the the new class uh, was created like the middle, the, ur- the middle class, urban, educated. Some of them well traveled because they got enough money, <laughs> and suddenly this new class realized that they they don't like the conditions of this social contract anymore. And uh, Putin saw it as a betrayal, and everything that he was doing since then was kind of targeting these people who are open-minded, global, like globally minded. Yeah. Uh, so all this, he, he didn't care before that, he didn't care about controlling the social life. So he would control the media because that's, uh, f- that would threat, threaten his uh, like corruption schemes, but he wouldn't care about, I don't know, LGBT people or yeah. uh, religious, like, uh, internet, like I don't know what they call extremism online or controlling internet, and so that was kind of a revenge as we see it. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I mean, you mentioned that the massive theft that's gone on. I mean, some estimates have Putin as the world's richest Mm. man. I mean, how much do you think... Obviously, you know, you and other opposition activists know about this, but do you think that the man on the street in Russia generally is aware yes. that the yes. government this is, the is thing robbing aware. them blind? They yeah. might be the d- they might it? be not aware yeah. that uh, like and deny the fact that he's an authoritarian leader, but they all know about corruption. So if and it's it's an open secret. Like even on the s- state-owned channels, it 
can they, it, they like much. the stand up yeah. comedians joke about it everyone yeah. knows about it but it's just it's just a different mentality like because we can mentality so it's almost i don't know it's kind of a feudal feudalist uh, approach like if m- my master is so powerful and so rich then right kind of but the idea is yes we can like we can yeah we can do it. Uh, people might get very angry about lower level. Uh, yeah, bribes and things yes, like this. Yeah. Government officials. So whenever something gets really bad, he can fire someone and kind of channel the discontent. So it's always like this this idea that if something goes wrong it's because Putin is not aware of it no one reported to him he just cannot micromanage everything he's the only true people who, he's the only person in the country who truly cares for the country so he, so he has too much stuff to do right <laughs> you've heard these tropes throughout Russian history about leaders being betrayed by people right. and not knowing them it's sort of the, the circularity of it from your point of view as a someone who's been an activist against Putin, how do you assess the likelihood of someone making real political process, uh, progress rather, against his government, getting a different government in? I mean, Neo, what time scale are we talking about? Nobody knows. Indeed, it's like, it's definitely a marathon, not a sprint. So this, we, we didn't realise it back in 2012, but we realise it now. So I'm... Last summer, uh, I wrote about it in my article for CapEx. Which is very good, by the way. Everyone should read that. Thank yeah. you. Uh, about there, was, there were very big protests in Moscow, um, which were sparked out of all things by municipal elections, which no, nobody had ever cared about uh, in the previous years. So it was a sign that just it need, like only a spark is needed, that people are so... And at least in Moscow, in the big cities, uh, they are so angry. Uh, so it was about, it wasn't really about municipal elections. And so the people who were running and who were banned from the opposition candidates, they are very decent people and they have their support, but they are not like stars. Some so it's it wasn't about their personalities. It wasn't about the elections. It was about the like everything that's been happening in the last few years that the government all the government failures from like environmental uh, disasters to you know forest fires to i don't know the the sanctions to the uh, what else like a lot of things a lot of things were yeah. just mm-hmm. happening and happening and there was no reaction and and so we all and now I see it that the well, partially because of the Crimea issue that, as I said, the opposition movement was an umbrella movement when I joined it ten years ago. It's not as much anymore because the like large uh, chunk, large part of the opposition movement suddenly became well. They became they were happy about the annexation of Crimea. I mean the more uh, nationalist uh, or, or communist part. Because for the communists, it was uh, the first step to restore the Soviet Union. For the nationalists, it's like we are the big superpower. So most of the opposition is now uh, on the liberal wing. So all sort of liberal parties 
so from social democrats to us libertarians and so they are much more united they are much more they they're much better in uh, working together uh, they are much better so we will for example understand and i understood it very well after ukraine that was the reason why i moved to kiev because i wanted to see with my own eyes what happens when a country uh, when a country gets a revolution for freedom and then it needs a ref- reforms and what, what what should be done and unfortunately i mean not everything that could have been done was done in ukraine partially mainly because there was no no team with a program and this is what we understand we need now so a lot of efforts are put into preparing a program that would be put put on a table until some uh, something changes yeah. so uh, this is this is the one of the things that we're doing and yeah we we realized that it's okay we cannot register our party for example so we still consider it a legitimate party because we have i, I just went to moscow for the uh, libertarian party convention uh, we had 48 regions represented 150 people from almost 50 regions all over yeah. Russia. So it's a, it's a huge one. It's it's now I think and one of the two biggest opposition forces in Russia together with Navalny Alexei Navalny's uh, movement. And and we okay, we cannot participate in elections as a party, but we can build uh, some grassroots uh, networks we can run like i was the first uh libertarian ever elected in russia but congratulations thank you not the only one so it was after me there were other people yeah yeah so and the day we're recording this i should add um a member of vera's party has been arrested by the Russian, uh, they call them something, the Federal Investigative Bureau. That's right, that's right. I was going to say about it. Yeah, Mikhail Svetov, one of our uh, most prominent activists, he was accused of sexual misconduct. I mean, they always do this. Yes, they always do this. And he was interrogated for 12 hours yesterday, Yeah, 12 hours in a row, and... So he's now he had his house searched and his uh, computer, his laptop seized, and we all, everyone understands it's it's about his political activity and it's it, it's a response like the government's response to the fact that libertarians are now the biggest force that we were the drivers behind the rallies last summer yeah. and that we had this uh, convention that was success- so everything that that's their reaction to political opponents i mean how do you feel then about you mentioned ukraine obviously you have a lot of family there you're half ukrainian are you optimistic about the future for ukraine a very liberalizing government there that seems to have a fairly economically liberal prospectus well i'm less not as much optimistic about economic reforms but i'm very much optimistic about the political and the uh, ideological shift. This is something that's irreversible. The uh, decommunization that was that st- was started after the Euromaidan and the overall uh, rejection of the the Soviet past and the the tra- like. The Euromaidan was about. It's called Euromaidan. It was about uh, becoming part of Europe, if not legally, at least like, ideologically. So. They understand in Ukraine that there is like there is a choice. Either you go back to the Soviet Union or you become part of the democratic world. 
So uh, this is a lot of things. I, I lived there for two, two years. And it wasn't my first article for CapEx. So, also excellent, by the yeah, way. Thank <laughs> you. It was it was a few years ago, so my first yeah. impressions. So just search Vera Capex, and uh, you'll find her pieces. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so yeah. It, it will it would take me a lot of time to list all the improvements yeah. that I saw. So economically, uh, this is like it's it's not Georgia. So in Georgia, it was a small country, and again, maybe most people don't know about it outside of the post-Soviet world, but it. Uh, went through the most successful free market reforms, yeah. uh, maybe in the world in the last uh, 15 years. And uh, but there is a small country, and it was done very fast and very efficient. And they had a brilliant team. Uh, and this in Ukraine, they're trying to replicate it. So a lot of experts from countries that had success had gone through successful reforms uh, went to Ukraine to work as experts from Lithuania, from Poland, from. Uh, Slovakia, from Georgia, uh, and it had some impact, but this is a problem. Then, in a, in like in terms of social liberties, the the like the the battle is won completely. In terms of economic liberties, uh, there's still like populism is still kind of prevailing, but uh, we're working on it. My friends from Students for Liberty, from Bedukis the Free Market Center, from a number of uh, easy business, another organization, a number of think tanks and um, charities are working on that. So the recent initiative was uh, they developed a, a textbook on economics uh, for middle school students. Nice things are being done, All right. and I'm optimistic. So we will keep on fighting the good fight in yes. Ukraine. Well, Vera, thank you so much for joining us. It's been absolutely fascinating. And uh, hopefully we'll see even more of your articles on CapEx in the future. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.